the Sylvania spit a wavering line down its screen. For a moment, the twin juggling duo, Betty and Nancy Gulliver, shivered out of existence and were replaced by a gray blob. Once the offending line passed through, the TV screen once again showed the sisters tossing six rainbow-colored rings between them. Off-screen, a drummer played a paradiddle at speed on a snare. Tommy Liplet watched them as one watched a cloud drift across the sky. He held a bourbon in one hand and a large TV clicker in the other. By pressing his thumb, the snare went silent. He pressed again, and it returned. Back and forth it went. Tommy looked at the clock above the dressing room door. 3.25 a.m. Two loud knocks came followed by a man's voice. Five minutes, Tommy. Come on. We need you in your spot. I'll be there, he called back with irritation in his voice. After Betty and Nancy caught the last of the airborne rings, the drummer snapped down on the snare and hit the crash cymbal. The jugglers bowed, and Helen Bird, the backup MC, thin as a scarecrow and wearing an ungodly red, white, and blue dress, walked into frame, clapping her hands while holding a massive black foam-covered microphone. Beatrice and... Oh, Betty and Nancy, everyone. Wasn't that wonderful? As you can see... She said, and motioned to the screen right. Our volunteers are busy manning the phones. We need your support. The camera panned to two rows of people sitting in front of rotary telephones, the back row higher than the front by a foot. Five of them showed on screen, two on the second tier, though the platform continued beyond view. Helen walked to the bottom row and leaned her elbow on the table. The last hour we didn't reach our goal, folks. Please pick up your phones and call the number at the bottom of the screen. It's 1982, everyone. The Hauser House is celebrating its 100th anniversary. All five call takers on screen held receivers to their ears, but Tommy knew likely none of them had anyone on the other line. Maybe a few dozen people watched in their homes around the city. Two more knocks at the door. Yes, he yelled. After downing the bourbon, he stood shakily and walked out of the dressing room. The hallway ended at double doors that emptied into the studio. A camera was stationed on each side, one mid-left and the other mid-right, and one in the middle. Then the cameraman and half a dozen others milling around. Sam, the one who had been banging on the door with such ferocity, strutted up with clipboard in hand. Did you get any sleep? Tommy looked at him as if a turd had popped out of his mouth. Sleep? Do you know how much blow I've done? I couldn't sleep if Mother Teresa laid my head in her bosom. Sam laughed far too long. <laughs> Good one, Tommy. Here's your mic. Helen will lead us into a short tape segment, then we'll come back for your appeal. After that, another tape segment, and we'll have David Tucker, a comedian. Talk him up and throw it to me. I know what I'm doing, kid. Tommy said. The buzz on set made him feel nauseous. One of the volunteers, a heavy-set woman sweating like she was being interrogated by the police, fake talked so loudly she drowned out everything else. Tommy had grown to hate her, her voice bleeding into every segment since the telethon started at 5 p.m. She thought of this as her starring chance, he thought, finally able to escape years of dinner theater. Mr. Holland wants to see you after that. Just quick. You need to be right back when Tucker's done. What does Holland want? Tommy tried not to sound nervous, but found his throat dry. Holland could make a grizzled commando cower. 
The owner of the station brought old-school, Eastern European gravitas to every conversation. He carried himself like a man that used to put ice picks to men's balls for sport. Sam hedged. He, well, he said things need to pick up and to get Tommy. Helen sang her way into the tape segment in an off-kilter rendition of... Somewhere over the rainbow. It caused the crew to wince at the held note for wear. Tommy empathized with her. Live TV was not for the faint of heart. Even if the crew outnumbered the viewers, Holland was always watching. Helen approached with a crazed smile bordering on demented. Tommy, that was good, right? I ad-libbed the song there. How was it? Sam nodded in an equally surreal fashion. It was great. Great, 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 Helen. But she kept her eye on Tommy and bent her head slightly as if preparing to be struck. The snare fell to the floor with a bang. The drummer, an octogenarian with a ponytail, waved a fuck you gesture with his hand and retrieved the instrument. The loud woman on the phone screeched and exaggerated. Thank you. And Tommy hugged Helen and whispered into her ear. You did great. That's why I have you here. Now go get some rest. She stepped back, beaming on the verge of tears. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you so much. The set began to spin. Tommy had felt faint before and knew what to do. He thought back to when he was a kid, when his grandmother would make butter in the kitchen, the big wooden churner belching its wet sobs as she wiped her brow with her forearm. Tommy ate the fresh butter by the spoonful. The memory always put his feet back on solid ground. The same trick had handled everything from panic attacks to exhaustion for 30 years, though he couldn't say exactly why this memory had that effect. It might have been the sense memories etched into his thoughts, how full it made his chest when he remembered. Not that he had any great love for Granny, as she had been an ornery woman. Instead, it was the lazy farmhouse, the dust swirling in the sunlight through the windows, and the smell that could only have occurred in the 1930s. Through overhead speakers, the station's announcer delivered Tommy's intro. And now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back the one, the only, the comedy legend, the star of stars, the greatest showman of all time, and Pittsburgh's own, Tommy Liplet. He jogged in front of the camera. The din quieted. The loud woman faded. He saw the light on above the center camera and walked up to it until his face was being swallowed by the lens. We're gonna need a bigger boat, he said, and then opened his mouth so the viewers could see his uvula. He laughed in breathy chunks until the lens fogged over. Once in front of the camera, things became a blur. A thousand jokes appeared on a Rolodex in his mind, randomly spitting from his mouth on autopilot. Even as this nonsense left his lips, the appeal he would need to say processed forefront in his head. By 4 a.m., the viewers would pick up, mostly old people on their waking, and drugged people at the end of their night's highs. The soliloquy must register with both. Ladies and gentlemen, let me get serious for a moment. The Hauser House has been helping the children and their families of Pittsburgh for a hundred years. When a child gets sick, it causes not just physical and emotional pain, but financial devastation to the family. The Hauser House offers hope. 
With your generous donations, it allows these families a place to stay during treatment, a support system. Even a few dollars can make a difference. So pick up the phone and call the number on the screen. I'll be here for 48 hours straight. I am giving all I have to give. I just ask that you give even the smallest amount. I'm begging you. He waved his hands as if conjuring some magic. Sam grinned behind the camera, his mouth turned into a long, pleasant curve. A young man stood beside him. It had to be the other comic. The fucker was handsome, shockingly young, at ease in his own body, hands crossed. Even though Tommy continued his pitch, growing ever more animated, the words flowing from some mysterious space, he glared at Tucker. Please, pick up your phones. Call with a pledge and help these children. Now, ladies and gentlemen, after this break, a great young kid, David Tucker, will be here to make you laugh. A production assistant pointed his finger at Tommy and lowered his hand in a fast stroke. The camera light went dark. A taped segment played for the audience, though Tommy forgot what it was. Sam motioned him forward. Stepping from the stage lights allowed him to exhale. Tommy, meet David Tucker, up-and-comer out of New York. Of course he's out of New York thought Tommy. Where else? Tucker put out a hand. A supreme honor, Mr. Liplet. Tommy shook and patted Tucker on the shoulder. Good luck, kid. Give him all a boner. Tucker flashed a smile. Genius, he said and strolled to the X on the stage floor. A girl ran to him, said something, and scurried back from wherever she came. A strange white noise filled Tommy's ears as if someone held a hairdryer behind his head. The cacophony of sounds on set disappeared, and he thought he might need to think of Granny and her churned butter again. Sam was talking directly at his face, to which Tommy nodded and pretended to hear. Slowly, the strange noise faded. To his office. You've only got about 15 minutes. Sam stared at him, obviously expecting an answer. Holland? In his office. Sam gave that too exuberant laugh. <laughs> You're too much, Tommy. Go on. Hurry. A nudge from Sam started him moving. Holland's office was on the third floor of the building, in the corner office that overlooked Lombardi Street. Whenever Tommy had been in there, it always seemed unnaturally dark, even during the day. The windows weren't tinted, and the building wasn't at an odd angle from the sun. The room just absorbed light. Tommy trudged down the hallway, past swinging doors, and into the lobby. The elevator appeared instantly, likely in slumber at the first floor spot. He pressed three and went about tucking his shirt into his slacks and tightening the knot on his blue dotted tie. At the third floor, the doors opened with a ding, followed by a sludgy pop. The hallway was dark save for a single fluorescent halfway at the end, where Holland's office door waited. That light fluttered. He gulped hard. At the office door, he knocked lightly three times. Heavy footsteps clunked toward him and stopped. He wondered if Holland had some way of peering through the door to see who was on the other side. Maybe a closed-circuit camera. Or secret peephole. Tommy? Holland said through the door, his voice sounded like gravel being churned in a cement mixer, as garbled as a voice could be and still be called a voice. Yes, sir? 
Sam sent me up. The door opened, though Holland wasn't there. Must be standing behind it, Tommy hoped. After three steps, as he didn't dare turn around, the door shut. Holland appeared in the periphery to his right, at first a massive shadow figure that took its time to swing into frame and kept walking until he stood at a large window behind his desk. There, in silhouette from the streetlights below, his body had the shape of a small tank turned on its end. When he turned half around so he was in profile, his cigar allowed a swirling silhouette of smoke that drifted upward. Tommy, do you know why I have this fucking telethon every year? Tommy gulped again, his throat so dry something seemed to snag near his vocal cords. The Hauser house? Helping the children... God, no. I could donate enough to fund that. Let me ask you another question, then. Do you know why we sign off at 1am every night and just let static run? No one watches TV in the middle of the night? Holland laughed. Right. That cable shit runs all night, but have you seen the god-awful dreck they offer? Roger Waters had it wrong. There won't be 13 channels of shit to choose from. There will be hundreds. I'll have to get in on that game at some point, but for now, it's just... Here, Holland switched to a perfect call man's voice. WPXT, Channel 20, Pittsburgh, the biggest station for 200 miles. The station owner swung his meaty paw forward for effect, as if presenting a magic trick to an audience. So why would I run a telethon when no one is watching? Why are you telling the same shitty jokes to no one at all? How much money do you think we're raising right now? Oh, fuck it. Sorry, Tommy, this is all rhetorical. Have a seat and... Wait. Pour us both a bourbon first. You know where it is. Tommy found the glass decanter on a slim table that sat beneath an enormous portrait of a racing horse, except its eyes and mouth glowed red. The background was entirely black, the shape of the horse only hinted at by wispy white lines. He gave two hefty pours into glasses and went to the submissive side of Holland's desk to plop down in the chair there. Holland continued to stand, though pressed his hands onto the back of his leather-bound chair and leaned forward. I've always liked you, Tommy. You fit the bill. Too old to be irrelevant and too young to be dead. I need someone who attracts the weirdos, the stoners, the old-timers with no shit better to do. Now, the Hauser House. Did you know I'm on the board there? In fact, I'm the president of that board. We are flush with money already. That's not what we need. Most of the kids who come through are poor fuckers from bad homes. Some of them aren't even dying that badly. Just their parents have nowhere else to go with them and are lazy shits. We pay them, Tommy. Pay the parents to take their kids. Are you listening to me? I'm not going to waste my time telling you these things if you're not listening. A shudder ran through Tommy's body. 
starting at his chin and rippling through his torso, crotch, legs, and then feet. Holland's outline grew, his face still not making itself fully visible. It looked like his eyes and mouth showed the faintest hints of red. I'm listening, sir. I'm just not sure why you're telling me this. Holland grabbed the bourbon, swallowed it in one swig, and belched. I'm telling you this to preface telling you why I called you up here. I need you to get people calling in on those phones. It's imperative that every potential lowlife and derelict who's watching right now calls that number. Do you understand? Chew glass, pull out your dick, whatever. I need them on the phone, pledging to one of those human answering machines. The children aren't giving our benefactors enough. They're hungry, Tommy. So fucking hungry. That's all you need to know. Our volunteers will handle the rest. The air in the office grew so stale, Tommy tasted it. Like the slime that coated his tongue when he had a bad cold. It caused him to cough when he first tried to speak. I don't understand what you mean, Mr. Holland. I will do the best. Holland stepped around the chair, and his face finally showed. Deep ridges covered his forehead and cheeks. His mouth a snarling mess, eyes empty except for fires ablaze within them, and his nostrils wide. Get me more fucking people. If you don't, I swear I'll have my dogs chew off your cock and balls. I'll let those goddamn race that live under Hauser House snatch your soul through your empty eye sockets and make you their permanent plaything. They are starving and getting fucking angry. They need to eat. Do you get me, Tommy? Go. Now. Tommy lurched back so suddenly... The chair tilted and fell. The back of his head smacked the floor, but he twisted and crawled toward the door as though this were the normal way to exit an office. He felt Holland stomping toward him and reached for the knob, yanking the door open to scamper into the hall. Holland stopped at the doorframe, kept entirely dark, as if no light could pass the threshold. Cigar smoke pressed under the fluorescent, taking on the quality of a jungle mist. I'm counting on you, Tommy. Give me your best Don Knotts, your most ballistic soupy sales. Go be the idiot you were born to be. And beg for those calls. I'm holding you responsible. Waiting for the elevator, Tommy cowered against the wall. The image of Holland rushing down the hall, mouth gaped open to reveal teeth filed to razor points, seemed so real he covered his head with his arms. The bell dinged. The doors opened. Tommy sprung inside and fell into a heap, blubbering. Three knocks on the door. Tommy snorted a fat line of coke through a rolled-up twenty. His head trembled in reaction. Tommy, please. Tucker's almost done. Are you in there? Come in, Sam. Tommy used his index finger and thumb to wipe his nose as he inhaled harshly. When the door opened, Sam's face was shock white. He sweated through his shirt. Tommy, hurry up. We're going to have to bump up that rap group if you're not ready and... Sam looked at his watch. 
Two minutes. What's a rap group? Not now, Tommy, please. I need you on set. Something in the air smelled like electrical burning. There was a whirlwind of lights as Sam took him by the arm and dragged him down the hallway. They arrived as Tucker stood from being completely prone on the floor, wiping the front of his black T-shirt now covered with dust. The production assistant behind the camera motioned with his hand frantically, but Tucker ignored him. When the comic saw Tommy watching, he winked. It momentarily lifted Tommy from his panic. The prick meant to not only run long, but let Tommy know it was on purpose. Imagine. Tucker said, and looked right into the camera before turning in a 360-degree circle. That I'm passing through a portal. Once through, an exact replica of me appears. And here I am. Unbelievable, right? You can't tell the difference between me and that loser I just replaced. He winked knowingly, and the laughter of the production crew filled the studio. Tommy looked around, bewildered. How is that funny? He said, but Sam was bent over with laughter. Tucker took a bow, his right hand pressed flat against his spine as if he were an old-time vaudevillian ending his act. It was so mesmerizing that Tommy didn't realize Sam was pushing him in the back and sliding a mic into his hand. Tucker passed close enough by him to lean in and whisper, Give him that Tommy Liplet gravitas. It all made Tommy so dizzy, he stood dumbstruck in front of the cameras. The studio was completely silent. Even the obnoxious woman on the phones took a breather. Everything was bright lights and stillness. The memory of Holland's mouth glowing red as it pressed forward made Tommy so nervous his hands trembled. He squeezed his eyes and thought of Granny churning butter, her arms thumping the handle like a crazed woman, her eyes gone wild. Instead of calming him, it only made him think of Holland more. Psst. He shook his head and saw Sam nearly in front of the camera's arms wide. David Tucker, ladies and gentlemen! Tommy twisted up his face as if the whole thing had been an act and shouted, Gah! Unlike with Tucker, not a single person laughed. One of the phones rang so loudly it made Tommy jump. He thought of what Holland told him, gave the live camera a quick glance, and sauntered up to it with a serious, arm-stiff gait. Now, listeners, I have something important to tell you. I'm going to plead with you. We're failing tonight, and it's your fault. Do you hear me? It's your fucking fault! Both the production assistant and Sam made a move toward him, but he swatted them off, all out of sight, just beneath the lens. Even Tucker watched slack-jawed. Tommy was on the verge of hyperventilating, and only by continuing to talk would he not kill over. Have you picked up your goddamn phones? This is life and death. We're not here for shits and giggles. We're not running a 24-hour cinema verite for the hell of it. We need you, yes, you, lazy pieces of shit, to pick up your phones and talk to one of these volunteers. Pledge your lives here. The cameraman followed him as he paced. Tommy was barely aware of the tracking. The only thing in his vision was Holland reaching for him to chomp his nose off. Those glowing red eyes so close, Tommy felt the heat on his lips. He replayed the comment about wraiths beneath Hauser House, which he told himself was some 
figurative way of referring to the diseases of dying kids, but questioning that deep down. Listen, I get it, he said, and turned away from the camera, putting a hand to his forehead. It's easy to be at home. It's easy to watch. Nothing in your little picture box seems real, as if everything, me included, are part of some imaginary world. But believe me, he said and turned, his eyes Charlie Manson wide. This is all too real. Get on those phones, or I will come to your house and kill you! No one in the studio moved. The production assistant glanced around, as if someone might tell him what to do. Whoever was up in the booth directing right now might have been yelling in the man's ear, or maybe that production team was dumbstruck as well. But the phones began to ring. First one, followed by another, until all ten joined in a shrill choir. The obnoxious woman screamed over the din. Why, yes, of course, I'll take your pledge. Tommy found himself nearly on the verge of collapse when a hand gripped his arm. Sam bit down so that he could get Tommy's armpit onto his shoulder and limp them behind the cameras. The volunteers' voices stacked atop one another. A jumble of questions and thank yous. Funny, Tommy thought, that other than the one woman, he couldn't picture any of their faces, though he'd been on set with them for almost 12 hours. There was a man with a yellow bow tie, but his face stuck in his memory like a mannequin's. As Sam walked them back to the dressing room, Tucker snatched the mic from Tommy's hand and danced in front of the still-rolling camera. Tommy Liplet, everyone! He shouted. Legendary. But as you can imagine, he is exhausted. Now, we've got a... What is it? Ah, oh, yes. A special feature on the history of the Hauser House. We'll be back after that. And me? I'm David Tucker. Once to the couch in his room, Sam let Tommy fall backward. The cushion caught him like sunshine onto a cloud. Tommy muttered something, but even he wasn't sure what it was. Sam opened the door without knocking. He had changed shirts, now wearing a tight red polo. Tommy still lay dazed, having no desire to move, ever. Helen's going to handle things for a while, Tommy. I, well, you need to... What? Spit it out. Holland wants you in his office. Listen, for what it's worth, I don't know what got into you, but we got over a hundred calls. The best hour we've ever had. If you need me to put in a good word... Tommy waved his hand, though felt sick. Don't worry about me, kid. Sam dropped his head. Good luck, and just so you know, Tucker took over after you left. We've got Helen back on for now, though the whole schedule is messed up. We're winging it for a little while. Tommy shrugged. That's show business, kid. Roll with it. You'll do fine. At the lobby, just as he was about to push the elevator button, he heard a ruckus from the front desk at the far end of the hallway. Several people stood in the main foyer, clustered around the security guard who tried to push them back. The woman on the phone said to come down here personally with my check. An elderly man yelled, waving the checkbook as if it were a handful of cash. The security guard motioned for the people to move back. Please have a seat on the benches. We'll take care of you one at a time. The bell dinged, and the elevator doors opened. Tommy didn't bother to tidy himself this time, 
but did grip his hands into fists. I did what he asked, he muttered. I gave it my all. Just before the third floor, the elevator lurched to a stop, held for a moment, and then dropped several feet. His heart hammered against his ribs, like a too-big rat trapped in a small cage. But as if it had only been momentarily burped, the elevator spun to life again and raised itself to the third floor. When the doors opened, he scampered through them in case it meant to fall again and crush him on the way. Beyond, the hallway hadn't changed from earlier, except now the office door stood open, a portal into darkness. Holland would be there, those red pits for eyes and mouth waiting, and despite the best hour we've ever had, would be ready to annihilate him. A shadow along the hallway, even though nothing could be seen, no light as backdrop, no figure that might cast its shape onto the floor, yet the shadow leaned far underneath that fluorescent and waited for Tommy to make his way. Mr. Holland? Tommy called out. When he got no reply, he took shuffling steps, hoping to drag this walk out as long as possible. Nothing good could be waiting for him in that office. At the door, he tried to peer inside. Mr. Come in, Tommy. It's fine. No need to announce yourself. Once he passed through the frame, the office features showed, if in the dimmest light, that would still allow vision. Now two chairs sat on the side of the desk, one of which housed a person, the tight cropped haircut and slim shoulders instantly recognizable, David Tucker. Holland stood at the window, his massive outline seeming bigger than before, more wide than tall. Tucker turned around, and the only thing that showed were his bright teeth. Tommy, I thought you might be dead. Holland waved his arm. Go on, pour us all a drink. Once the glasses were filled, Tommy had to hold them in a triangle between his hands, letting Tucker grab one delicately before placing another on Holland's side of the desk. He sat in the left side chair next to Tucker. Good job, Tommy. Really, I was impressed. Bonkers and ballsy enough to get these fuckers calling. I'll watch the tape of that for years. How red-faced you got. I thought you were going to have a heart attack. The man chuckled, a sound like a pit bull protecting his meal. It's just, how should I say it? That it had to come to that was a disappointment. You're too far on the downhill slope. Edgy shouldn't be a last defense. It should be the main act. Kids today want it now, want it hard, fast, over the top. You, it's... The end of the line. Tommy almost giggled with relief. You're firing me? Well, let's start with this. Next year, Mr. Tucker will take over the telethon. Holland held up a piece of paper that Tommy assumed was a contract. Going to give him a regular hosting gig for a Friday midnight movies, too. The creature feature show, but with yucks tossed in. Did you know David here is only 20? Born in Toledo, of all places. I've convinced him New York is a big bond, hard to make your mark. 
a little time in Pittsburgh would get him ready for the big leagues. Right, David? Tucker swung his left leg down from being crossed over the right knee and switched them. If I may say, Mr. Holland, that's right as lube before a fisting. Holland bellowed a sound that made the windows rattle. <laughs> Love it. See, Tommy, what I mean? Anyway, Helen is dumped for the rest of this thing. David will take over backup duties to co-host is more the appropriate way of thinking about it. I'll leave you with your dignity and let you finish out the day. Tommy looked from Tucker to Holland, but neither man so much as blinked. He did, though, hear whimpering from somewhere, a light sound that might have been his imagination. To his right... Tucker flashed a disarming smile meant to convey something, but Tommy didn't know what. Holland grabbed his bourbon and poured it back. Now I want to leave you with something, Tommy. I don't need you to scamper off and provide gossip as you drink yourself to death. A lump grew in Tommy's throat. Holland reached down and dragged a person. The one who'd been whimpering, Tommy realized, from the floor at his feet. Though all the features weren't readily identifiable, it appeared to be a long-haired young man, eyes like white buttons. With one arm, Holland tossed him chest up on the desk. The man reached for Tommy, who couldn't bring himself to move, the terror a hold of his solar plexus with a phantom fist. The young man shit himself, and the stench turned Tommy's head, which allowed him to see the dimly lit areas of the edges of the room begin to move. What had been solid blocks of darkness took shapes. Over a dozen of them, jerky phantoms made only of shadow. What might have been faces split to reveal ovals of teeth and red gullets. They rushed toward the body prone on Holland's desk. Tommy watched them attack the man like hyenas on a kill. Something wet flung itself across Tommy's cheeks. He whipped his head to the right. Tucker stood and with incredible speed dipped forward to join the phantoms in their feeding. David... Holland spurted out the name and jumped back. You are an ambitious young man. But Tucker spun around and retched a flow of chunks that looked black on the floor. I'm sorry, Mr. Holland. He said and spit. Just eager to get started. Trying to keep as low as possible, Tommy bent and tiptoed to the door. Behind him came not just the sound of flesh being ripped, but bones snapping as well. Once he got to the door half open and thinking he'd get away clean, a heavy paw grabbed his shoulder. Holland yanked him around so they were face to face, blood splattered across the man's cheeks. Mom's the word, Tommy. After this, go to a residency in Vegas or just fucking die. If I ever hear you speak of this, I'll send these fuckers after you. Once released, Tommy stumbled to the elevators his finger jabbing the button repeatedly. He thought of Granny in her tiny kitchen, body hunched in toil, while he sat snugly at the table, anticipation of the creamy treat he'd have coming. A phantom devil snuck from the shadows behind her, leaned above like a wolf from the fairy tales, gave Tommy a coy wink, and then bit off her head. The first floor came in a flash. An old woman waited for the elevator in the lobby. Her hair was so white it looked unreal. Tommy lurched back, 
drawing his hands to his chest by instinct. Oh dear, are you okay? He passed her, taking care not to make eye contact. Sorry. Been a long day. The woman squealed with delight. Oh heavens! You're Tommy Liplet. It's because of you I'm here. What you said was exactly right. I've sat around my apartment, helping no one for years, feeling sorry for myself, waiting to die. Once I reached out to that nice woman on the phone, I marched right down. Now I can hand my check in directly. The woman reached in her purse and withdrew a kerchief. It landed on Tommy's cheek. You've got some ketchup there. He watched as the doors closed, realizing that the woman bore a striking resemblance to his grandmother. He watched the counter pass two and stop at three. He stumbled away, and the doors and hallway to the studio passed in a blur. Hey, Tommy, Sam said, sidling up to him when he entered the set. I got word. Helen's waiting in your dressing room. I thought you would want to tell her. Listen, if you could just talk us out of a taped piece and introduce this rap group, Mo Money, then I'll get you a couple hours break. The mic slipped into his hand. Staggering to his ex, he waited for the production assistant to count him in. The loud woman screeched behind him like a trumpet in his ear. If you walk that check down here right now, I promise the station will surprise you with a gift. She said. Oh yes, I'm serious as a heart attack. Thank you. You won't regret it. Tommy half turned to find her watching him, her eyes showing the faintest red glow, as if a fire burned in her skull. She gave him an A-OK sign with her fingers and thumb. People moved around him. Wires slid across the floor, and voices gabbed into headsets. The drummer began a tight snare roll that kept increasing in volume until it matched the decibels of the loud woman. Tommy! The assistant showed four fingers, then three, then... The snare cracked down. The right camera light flashed on. Tommy approached and looked into the lens solemnly as the drummer tapped his ride cymbal in a soft, slow rhythm. My name is Tommy Liplet, folks. I'll be with you until the bitter end. This has been a production from Slayhouse Publishing and Wayne Howard Studios. Telethon by T.M. Morgan, starring Jeremy Billingsley, Trevor Williamson, Natalie Morlock, and Curtis Steen.